0: This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria, Australia's oldest drama teacher association. Consider becoming a Drama Victoria member today to take advantage of the many member benefits. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. We record on the land of the Bunurong people and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are lucky enough to be joined by Brendan Carroll from the VCE Drama and VCE Theatre Studies Network to talk through the 2022 monologue examination for VCE Theatre Studies. A number of great monologues have been selected and we are going to chat through them. I'm going to talk about five, Brendan's going to talk about five and we'll both jump in on a couple of them as well. So we're going to have a great time chatting about these monologues, talking a Little bit about the background, what the monologue is about, and then just discussing some ideas about how we might go about interpreting them. Without any further ado, I bring you Brendan Carroll on the Vichy Theatre Studies monologues. Please note, this interview was recorded over Zoom, so the audio does get a bit bonkers now and then, but hopefully we've been able to fix it for your listening pleasure. And we welcome to the podcast, Brendan Carroll.
1: Hey, how are you going?
0: I am fabulous. Thank you so much for for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you. You're one of our special return guests. Thank you. Thank you.
1: It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So we get to talk about this exciting list of monologues. And I think uh, think you like them.
1: I do. I was just saying that it's one of my favorite lists in many years. I think there's a great variety of stuff on there.
0: Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And I think there's lots of fun as well. You're right. The variety is what's really special this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's, it's great. It's got something for everyone, whether you're a singer, whether you're a drama, comedy, um, modern, old, it's just all there, which is great.
0: Brilliant. And we're going to talk really quickly about each monologue, um, give our our idea of what the monologue is kind of about. And yeah, for sure. We're pretty, pretty lucky because you were part of developing some some resources for drama Victoria for this for these yeah, monologues
1: yeah so we've done I've done my research yeah. <laughs> so I know a little bit about each one yeah,
0: and I've I've studied each play and and I know the monologues really well as well so hopefully we can have some fun today Great. and we we're, we're going to do a one 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 situation where we'll talk about you'll talk about one and then i'll jump in and talk about one and we're going to start with my favorite and your favorite possibly no you've got too many favorites actually i can't say your favorite for everyone let's start
1: from away shall we yes um so come from away one of my favorite musicals i went and saw it three times when it was in melbourne and so when i saw that this moment from come from away um beverly bass the airline pilot american airlines pilot it's her song me in the sky um and it is a fantastic strong feminist piece of uh, piece of theatre. Essentially, this this monologue is from about two thirds, maybe, of the way through the musical. The musical, if you don't know, Come From Away, is about um, the airlines that were all diverted to Gander um, in 2011 during the terrorist attacks on the United States. Gander is a small town in Newfoundland, Canada, and uh, and all the, t- the planes were diverted there. This is a true story. It's a verbatim piece of musical theatre of lots of different characters, all their stories combined together. One of them being Beverly Bass. She's an American Airlines pilot, one of the first um, airlines pilot, female airline pilots in history. And this is her song, Me in the Sky, where she sings about that process of, you know, being young and being a child and knowing exactly what she wanted and looking up into the sky and seeing the planes and telling her father she'd fly for the rest of her life. And then um, eventually she, t- she tells the story through song, of you know the, the female um, air hostesses not liking her and the male um, pilots not giving her a chance and eventually she builds up her own team and she gets there and she flies for a mortician at first and then eventually goes further and further and ends up flying for a um for American Airlines and that that song is that great powerful journey through what's happened to her so a great one for a really powerful. Um, actor director or really great one for design as well there's really specific costume design that you could be using there of course come from away as we know is a musical that's presented with just the basics tables chairs and they're transformed over and over again into many different things so there's a potential here to be very transformative and tell the story using you know simple items on stage
0: and it's such a powerful story too. I remember just being in tears, just watching it, just crying, 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 loving, yeah, loving also, this. So, her all,
1: away and to find out about her. So,
0: All yeah. she had to overcome to do this. It was amazing. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely have a read and have a listen and have a watch. It's a great, great monologue. Um, and then we're going to jump into talking about our country's good. Um, yes. Liz. So Liz is one of the convicts um, in the penal colony, and she's actually a really insubordinate prisoner, My, she She's really always tempting the guards to punish her and she's misbehaving and speaking out of turn. And so Governor Arthur Phillip uh, wants her to be cast in a play explaining that this will make an example out of her, not by executing her, but by spotlighting her redemption, by showing through art and through this play that Liz can be reformed. Um, the monologue itself occurs just after she's been accused of helping other convicts escape by giving them food. Uh, she's in chains with three other convicts, Wise, Hammer, Caesar, and Ascot, and she speaks of her bad luck and her terrible lot in life. And this monologue is just jam-packed full of era-specific language and vocabulary. It's just a really, really hyper-specific monologue um, coming from a specific uh, place in time with lots of really cool... Uh, turns a phrase Um, and it's also obviously there's a lot of um, sadness in this and melancholy in this as she talks about how she came to be who she is and because this is a debate play so a play that's all about moral ideas and debating things and all the characters talk about um, their views on on different issues uh, it's really interesting to see how she perceives herself and how others perceive her and how they convicts are perceived in general and then this kind of this monologue and her her understanding of her lot in life uh, leads into her trial in the, in the next scene. So not part of the monologue. And then um, there's a chance she's going to get hanged uh, and then talking about whether or not they should save her and how to save her. And when she starts, accepting her lot and realizing that this is what she's born to do she was born to die um and then them saving her life and saying no you're worth more than this so although the hope comes later in in the play this is a a real sad moment for her she's in chains waiting for trial and talking about how she got here so it's really interesting piece i think from our country's good
1: yeah 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 and that one's been on the um monologue list before so if you're thinking about doing it perhaps your theatre studies teacher might have some resources and ideas um, from previous years as well so there's a little little bit of insider knowledge there
0: and then we get to jump to the very interesting Switzerland
1: yes oh my god I read this play and I absolutely loved it if you love murder mysteries crime um, this is the this is the play for you it's written by Joanna Murray-Smith who's an amazing um, Melbourne based born in you know grew up in Mount Eliza uh, writer, um, you know she's written "Honor," "Bombshell," songs for nobodies, etc. And, and uh, this is about the real life person Patricia Highsmith, the writer of the talented Mr. Ripley and lots of other novels about um, this this character Tom Ripley, who is an absolute psychopath. The story is fictionalized. It, it's set in Switzerland, in Tenga, Switzerland. She's in her um, in her manor there, where she actually did live, and she's visited by a this character called Edward Ridgeway. And Edward's from a, a publishing company that wants to get her to write more books about, uh, about Tom Ripley. So the monologue is, is late, about midway through the, um, the play where uh, it is divided up into two parts. So the monologue is, um, is Patricia. And uh, it's the first part is Patricia telling a new story of Tom Ripley. So Edward has coaxed Patricia into telling this new story about this dapper and suave and psychotic Tom Ripley. And uh, she begins to play with him by outlining this new story before very abruptly end- ending the story. And then in part two of the monologue, which is a few pages later, but very tonally different, Patricia starts to describe to Edward in really chilling fashion her love of the murder genre and the horror of the human psyche. Um, she ends up telling him you know, that anyone and everyone would love to enjoy the power of taking a human life. And so it is absolutely chilling and it's a big turn in the, um, in the tone of the monologue. So if you're into crime, um, if you're into drama and suspense, um, then this might be the monologue for you. Um, it's a really, really interesting one set in Patricia's manor, which is almost curated like a museum of artefacts. Um, she lives with her sort of items and knives and, um, you know, typewriter. And so there's a really great design aspect to this one as well.
0: Yeah, and she's a real kind of what alcoholic, chain smoking.
1: She is character I mean, too. I mean, they've been they've been drinking all throughout the play, so there could be paraphernalia around, um, you know. Uh, and so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of design there. She's a she's a, um, you know, she's not she doesn't quite dress feminine. She used to look quite feminine, but now she's wearing trousers, boys' shirt, loafers. And she's quite androgynous. So there's a there's a great chance for a costume designer as well to create you know a great costume. Yeah, and that shift
0: is really cool too. The shift from monologue one to monologue two is the end of Act One as well, when she walks into his room with a knife, um, yeah. and then we get to see what happens after that. I mean, it's yeah, a, it's yeah. a twist read, and turning play. The ending,
1: but read the play, and there's a yes. great twist ending as well.
0: literally Uh, i mean maybe actually maybe there's no twist sorry i I can't remember if there's a literal twist uh, but you'll get what we're talking about when you read the play of course that's right and then we have this little known playwright um william how do you pronounce that shakespeare william shakespeare all right
1: shakespeare Shakespeare. excellent
0: great i don't know i I read a bit of it and i think he's i think he's actually all right i think we should give him a chance real up and come up uh so this is from tempest this is ariel and this monologue appears early in the play and this is like the first arrival of Ariel, or so it would seem, uh, depends on your interpretation. Ariel is actually a spirit that can turn themselves invisible. And they actually talk about uh, where they, when they appeared earlier in the play, we just didn't see them. So a giant storm or tempest, if you will, has ravaged a ship. And the cause of the poor weather is Prospero, a sorcerer, who learnt his magic from a book. Uh, he is the former Duke of Milan, and he has asked his spirit servant Ariel to blow a gale, to do some magic and report on what was done. Uh, this monologue has two distinct parts. One, Ariel describing what happened on board the ship, you Now, Ariel turning, uh, turning themselves invisible and into fire and causing the ship's men to jump overboard and separating the crew into four groups. And then Ariel asks for their freedom. Um, it appears Prospero actually freed Ariel from being trapped in a tree by Ariel's previous master, a witch named Sycorax. And although omitted from this example, Prospero threatens Ariel not to moan about their lot in life and that he will release Ariel once they've completed all their tasks in two days' time and Ariel accepts this. So Ariel's a spirit. And although often uh, called he uh, and sometimes played by women and called she, Ariel is actually non gendered. Um, that, that we're not told that Ariel is a spirit. Um, so we've got anyone can play this role. And of course, anyone can play any of the monologues on the list, but there's no prescribed gender in this case. And the monologues have changed this year to have no prescribed gender for any
1: of the characters anyway. So your yeah, interpretation. starting really development that you can play yeah. the monologues. There's any gender that you Um, specify however just like any you know recontextualization you do have to explain how that change in gender would work for the rest of the play and the prescribed scene as well
0: yeah absolutely so yeah, I'm just this one. Ariel wasn't written with anything, I guess, in mind in that way. So it's a really interesting one where Ariel's talking about the wonderful magic that they have performed and presented, and then hoping Prospero will set them free. Uh, and it's just a, it's a cool monologue. It's in Shakespearean language. So it gives you so much scope uh, for interpretation of this piece. You know, what's Ariel's costume? What's the lighting like? What are the set pieces, the, the props? How are we creating this idea of Ariel and the idea of this invisible spirit? I think there's great. Uh, options there for actors directors and designers and 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 you and i might fight over this one because i think the last five years is is loved by both of us but this is yours talking about the last five years but goodness me i listened to it the other day twice in a row that's how much i love the last five years
1: such a good musical if you haven't had a chance to see it um listen to the soundtrack you know watch the movie um there's there's different ways you can experience it but such an interesting musical last five years by jason robert brown has been on the monologue list before um, this exact monologue um, the character is Jamie Wellerstein and the the, um, the interesting part the interesting I said uh, theatrical conceit of this musical is that it it's plays in two different um, time or temporal sort of directions so um, Jamie's story is told in a linear sort of A to B progression moving forward and the other character Kathy her story is told backwards and it's their five years of their relationship um, so Kathy starts at the end Jamie starts at the start but this this um this musical and um, this moment in the monologue is um, from scene six, the shmuel song. So it's a it's a really interesting spelling, s c h m u e l, but it's pronounced shmuel. Um, so I, I'm I'm probably butchering it a little bit, but I think
0: that's, that's right. It's a it's a Jewish word as well, shmuel. Yes, a right. Jewish name. Uh, I shouldn't say shmuel. Yes, yeah.
1: and you can look up the proper pronunciation online. So I'm I'm getting as close as I can to it, but uh, but uh, you know there might be some. Um, Traditionalists out there that might disagree, but anyway, um, the monologue is from their scene six. It's their second Christmas together, and Jamie share, is sharing a story with Kathy that he's been writing. It's a story of a, of a tailor named Shmuel who lives in Klimovich, which is a fictional location. And, and uh, Shmuel is a hardworking tailor who wishes that he had, you know, had more time to sew this this masterpiece. And suddenly, in Jamie's story, this magic clock grants Shmuel the wish of um, the, this more time to work on a dress. Um, and he's singing this song to Kathy, who in the musical actually isn't on stage with him. They never actually um, are on stage together until their wedding about halfway through the musical. Um, and it, uh, the, the monologue is the first half of the song. However, in the second half of the song, which is not part of the monologue, Jamie presents Kathy with a watch and then encourage a, encourages her to quit her day job. So this, this whole song is a sort of symbolic metaphor. Um, the story acts as like a metaphor for what he believes that she can achieve if she is given more time because she is a struggling actress. And he's saying, here, I give you the gift of more time, just like this in this story, the clock gives Shmuel, the tailor, the gift of more time to sew this beautiful dress. You can have more time and more space to become the actress that you want to be. I'll take a step back. I'll let you achieve your dreams. So it's a really beautiful moment in the in what is actually quite a sad musical in lots of places. And, and Jamie um, Wellerstein is not always the, uh, the most favourable of characters in this musical. He makes a lot of bad decisions. I'll let you read the play or listen to the music to find out what he does wrong. But in this moment, he is very much in love with Kathy, and he's um, giving her a, a, you know, a, a great gift of more time. I know this is
0: not the time or place to argue about whether or not Jamie makes good or bad decisions, but I'm going to say strong disagree, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah. We can say it's, it's both of their faults. They both make interesting both choices. Make bad you bad know, there's there's bad, bad decisions, but, you know, what, what is the cause yeah. who knows what the real cause is? No, but yeah. you're right. Because yeah. this could be a totally kind of ironic kind of mansplaining song too, where he is giving her this time. And it's like, and she doesn't well, so really she get ownership of her life, you know?
1: yeah Just and, depends know, this depends on your interpretation that's obviously. a great one for design as well by the way i should say because this is set in you know in their apartment they've been living together for a while she's a struggling actress he's an aspiring writer it's it's christmas uh, he's jewish she's she's not so they have christian uh, christmas decorations up it's winter so it's freezing cold so there's a great set design here i can almost picture it lighting design christmas lights you can, your mind just goes wild with all the possibilities. So there's, um, you know, if you're a design student, you're thinking about which one you should might pick for design. Think about this one. I think.
0: Yeah. I think it was 20, was it 2018? It was last on. Like yeah, it was on quite, I quite, quite recently. It. I remember seeing the the top acts performance of this yeah, and the reveal of
1: so you're, the you're, dress teacher may have some great ideas.
0: Absolutely. Um, and now we go from last five years to man covets bird. Uh, this is, Indeed is a play. My goodness, it is. So uh, Man Covet's Bird is a third person monologue um, and it starts at the very start of the play. So this monologue establishes the style of the work and the world that this man or the man that he is describing was born into. This is like a surreal alternate world or perhaps an extended allegory. And in my view, it's kind of about fatalism that we're destined to repeat the same patterns unless we stand up and make a change. This monologue explains how a person can find themselves grown and still not know who they are. It's a a monologue about transformation. It's a play about identity and family and belonging and revolution and, and so much more. The monologue is poetic and symbolic and anew. Usual and quirky and glorious. It it is actually is delivered by a character called Man. And the play is about his journey away from home and into the city where he becomes a factory worker and goes about this monotonous job until one day he decides not to re- remake his bird's nest for the millionth time and then gets a bad night's sleep. So he gets up early and goes on an adventure because his train doesn't arrive yet. Like it's, it's a really interesting play all spoken by this, this, this character called man. And the monologue itself is the very, very start of that. And it really does establish the world. It establishes the idea that this man grows from a baby into a, young man into an older man and meets his parents you don't quite know who he is and he gets in trouble by his schoolmaster and he comes up with a word that's not in the dictionary called ah <laughs> and he and his family uh say ah to each other and that melts ice that would never have formed like I mean it's it is poetic it is symbolic uh, what it actually means is probably up to everyone who reads it because you know I think it's about fatalism but obviously someone else could think about it, it is about something else entirely um, the play is absolutely what it is and is so open to interpretation that if this is the kind of one that if you're looking for the most open book although that's probably not fair to say this is the most open book but it's one of the most open book monologues here you can you can go anywhere and make your choices with this piece as an actor director or as a designer in really fascinating interesting ways i cannot wait to see what people do with this piece
1: yeah that sounds amazing i haven't read this one yet but i just in hearing your description i picture you know surrealist paintings and dreamscapes and all kinds of op-
0: Options. yeah so, it's magical realism or not even magical just magical magical um, no yeah, realism very little exciting,
1: it's really exciting
0: it's really cool and I could just explain what the monologue's all about but really it's it's more this piece is so much more about style than than specific details I think it's about establishing a, ty- a type of world um, that we ex- get to exist in and the audience get to enjoy so it's really specific and really cool I think
1: fantastic Well, shall we move on to from the world of dreams into the world of one man dreaming he was everybody else, the talented Mr. Ripley? Done. All right. So this is a great segue, by the way, from me. Um, (laughs) The talented Mr. Ripley is um, now this is closely linked to Switzerland that we talked about before, uh, which was the the play about the playwright. Oh, sorry, about the novelist Patricia Highsmith. Now, this is actually the, the book that she wrote, or this is an adaptation of the book into a play, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, and the, the author is Phyllis Nagy. And anyway, this, uh, this story is about Tom Ripley. And uh, essentially, Tom is, has been mistaken for a childhood friend um, of a, a character called Richard Greenleaf. And the, uh, the parents of Richard Greenleaf send Tom over um, to Italy to try and convince him to come home and see his dying mother. And Tom travels to Italy where he meets Richard, but very quickly falls in love with his lifestyle and perhaps even him. Um, he has a girlfriend called Marge and there's a childhood acquaintance there called Freddie. And they all sort of like spend a lot of time together. Um, but it quickly becomes apparent that, that um, you know, Tom being, being a kind of dapper, suave, um, but also on the, on the um, undersurface, a psychopath wants to be just like Richard and he ends up killing Richard in the middle of the of the show at the end of act one Uh, and then in act two he's trying to live this double life pretending to be Richard um, to everyone and then pretending to be himself to other people so the monologue is it comes from like midway through act two where Tom has been pretending to be Richard for quite a while he's been living in an apartment in Rome under Richard's identity Uh, And after a few months of doing so, he's visited by a school friend, Freddie Miles. And this is where the monologue starts. And this is, let me tell you, one of the best monologues. I think if I was choosing one, this is the one I'd like to do. Because for an actor-director, whoa, does Tom go through so many um, shifts in personality here. This duality between trying to hold it together and then completely losing control and coming back to holding it together again. So what happens is Freddie Miles has figured out that he gets suspicious and he's figured out that Tom is not, um, you know, has been living this double life and that, um, that maybe Richard is, is, uh, is being killed. And so, so Tom finally admits to his web of lies. He admits to his crimes and then he brutally stabs Freddie. And then in a rare loss of temper, he he boots the body and he yells at the body before Tom eventually regains his composure and then begins to formulate a plan to fl- to frame Freddie for Richard's murder. And I should say that Tom is dressed in, as Richard Greenleaf in the first half of this monologue. And then now that his cover is blown, he begins to take off those that clothing and redress himself again as Tom Ripley um, as he explains how he might um, frame Freddie for Richard's murder. So it's completely psychopathic and it's delicious in its, in its terror. Um, this is for us, you know, a strong actor director would love taking on this one to really, you know, have fun with with finding the right balance between between composure, absolute composure. This guy is always in control, and then those moments of losing control and then regaining it again. There's, um, you know, if you love crime, love jealousy, murder, identity, obsession, wealth, luxury, you know, Im- imitation. There's so many great themes that you could play with here. Um, and I think it's a great one for an actor-director. And then, of course, a costume designer, the shifts in costume that it happened in there, a set designer potentially, that apartment in Rome full of, you know, you know the, the identity of one character being lived in by another. There's a lot there to work with. So it's a super exciting one, I think.
0: Absolutely. I can't wait. As you said, this yeah, is a great list this, this year. Brilliant. Um, so where in the world is Frank Sparrow? So this monologue is full of rhyming. Um, Note the rhythms and use of timing. In Sparrow's Field, a baby did come from the black earth with a bare naked bum. Set in a dystopia of Stab City, a wasteland of steel that ain't pretty. It speaks of a child that frightens the birds and is born of the earth. How absurd. The baby was yellow and sickly and weird. Only one working arm and then he appeared. Walking along, a man picked up the babe. He took him home and a family was made. No one else claimed the baby. A gift from above? Think again, maybe. They named him Frank, an uncle's name, and then time marched on and played its game. Sparrow's field turned into a car park, and we're left with the chorus's final remark. For years this occurs, babies brought from below, and they take them back too, you know. So we know already things won't end well for Sparrow. One day he will return to his tomb like a pharaoh. This monologue is poetic. It's lyrical and cool, full of imagery, and it has great appeal. Uh, so the whole monologue is in rhyme. So I thought I would describe the monologue in rhyme as well, uh, just to you be did a silly. a great
1: job. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I've it. enjoyed it.
0: So it's really an interesting piece, again, similar to um, Man Covets Bird. This is you know, really lyrical, really poetical, really, <laughs> really lyrical, really poetic, um, and tells a really strange story about a baby that is r- pushed up from the black earth in this dystopian place. Um, it, the whole uh, play itself is a kind of a Romeo and Juliet story, but these two different warring families and Jack um, and Jack and I've got to call him Jack Sparrow. Uh, Frank Sparrow uh, is kind of uh, caught in the middle and we find out who he is and he has these magical powers. And the monologue is actually presented by Chorus, a character named Chorus. So huge potential here for the actor director to do all kinds of incredible physical work in this piece and think symbolically, think about puppetry, um, think about shadow play, think about everything and anything you want to do in relation to interpreting this work you are telling a story and weaving a narrative and establishing um, an atmosphere so consider how you might go about doing that because this is really atmospheric and interesting and beautiful and detailed so very different to the of mr ripley but also uh, bold wonderful ideas and great storytelling is probably needed here
1: yeah 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 it's a really really interesting one but
0: yeah let's do it that you get you, this is your moment
1: okay my moment to shine my last one so and the second last one for this podcast to kill a Mockingbird" is one of my favorite novels of all time this is why i love this this um, list of of monologues so much this year um so many good ones so it's adapted from the novel by harper lee to kill a mockingbird um the author is christopher sergal and the character is the lawyer atticus finch so if you're not familiar with to kill a mockingbird it's probably one of the most famous pieces of american literature ever written it's set in maycomb alabama um, in the year 1935, and it's during the Great Depression. Um, the play follows the story of a six-year-old girl called Scout Finch, and her father is a lawyer who's defending a black man called Tom Robinson, who's been falsely accused of rape. And uh, Atticus Finch is is a sort of picture of a of someone that you, of a stand-up man. He follows his morals and his values, um, and he he stands up in the face of of racism, um, and and defends a black man, which at the time. Um, you know, made him public enemy number one. Now, it's not a true story, but in the in the novel makes him public enemy number one. And the monologue is set at the conclusion of the trial of Tom Robinson, where Atticus Finch is addressing the jury. So this is very much a courtroom drama. Well, it's, it's part courtroom drama because it does go outside the courtroom as well. Uh, but this this moment is, is just as you would imagine from all the movies you've ever seen of the American legal process. Uh, this is Atticus addressing the jury who's out at the audience and, uh, and he's a, talking about he's doing his closing remarks he's giving his evidence and then he makes his plea his plea to um you know to to the the jury to to think about what they've heard um and Atticus concludes by contending that you know all men are not created equal and there's there is systemic and cultural racism that exists and it's a remarkably progressive speech for its time that's why this is such an important and uh, uh, monologue and why why it was remarkable um in the novel and why it's something that still moves people today um, and and it's a great one for a good actor director a great one for a designer as well because it is set in Alabama um in Maycomb Alabama which is like a, a very humid and hot it's set in the middle of August I should say as well and it's very hot in Alabama and so Atticus is often depicted in a three three piece what we call a seersucker suit so it's a It's a suit that has like a, um, you know, a a breathable kind of fabric. It's a thin cotton fabric. Um, And so it's got this puckered finish. It's a really specific type of costume for a costume designer that wants to get really specific with an error, which I think is really exciting. Um, Of course, set in a courtroom, so there is great... you know, there's a great, I think about sound design and the sounds of Alabama outside the courtroom windows, the clocks ticking, the people shuffling their feet. There's great um, room for sound design as well. So, I mean, this is one of the most famous um, novels of all time because, for a reason. So if you are looking to take on something that is that has its place in, in um, literature and, and uh, history, then this is one that I would certainly go for
0: and you're totally right about the opportunities for authenticity here and about doing your research doing a deep dive like it, yes it's all of these are open books and the allegory for today and the civil rights movement obviously if you wanted to reinterpret it may well be there up to you uh, but also the opportunity to recreate something you know perfectly and meticulously and and taking on that challenge as a designer could be really interesting and fascinating if that's the way you'd like to go
1: and isn't that the great thing about theatre studies? Is you can take you can take a monologue and you can uh, you can put it in the era that it sits in, or you can extract it out if you find a great um, thematic link to something that's maybe happening today with systemic racism, and you can justify that um, as working for the rest of the play. Then then you can go for it, and it's um, you know you can be super creative with it. So we encourage you if you have some great ideas, go for them.
0: Yeah, and in, in this one, you've got Gene, who is the um, grown-up scout kind of talking to us from more modern times. So maybe there's potential there, but, you know, that's, that's yeah. not up to us to decide, of course. that's those, those three people in that room that get to choose. Uh, so uh, we now get to finish with Under Milk Wood. Um, which is a really interesting play that some of you may know very well already. Is this a play that you were across already? Have you done this or seen yeah, this? Yeah, Lots I've, of I've schools perform this.
1: And, and it's, you know, Dylan Thomas um, is one of my favourite um, plays. And, and the opening, which is where this monologue is from, which you're, you're about to talk about is just beautifully poetic in it's descriptions of, of a town. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I use it all the time um, in my, uh, teaching in my classes and and uh, Sam Mackie who I work with is a big big fan of, of this this is um his favorite on the list
0: yeah, and lots of schools do this play because there's so many opportunities for large play casting any large casting yeah. any anyone can play any character kind of situation um that's great so it's a Welsh comedy play um set in um well, set under milkwood in a in a town which is actually called which is Buggerall Backwards, which is really <laughs> interesting. So, Laragub. Um, so, we have this. It, it's it's and It's wonderfully uh, light and and lilt and creates and paints a beautiful picture. So, this is the opening monologue of, of the piece where we will, all we hear is first voice, and they're described as very softly, and they speak to begin at the beginning. It is spring, and they make and describe. And with their words, are able to get the audience to understand exactly where we are, the atmosphere of the land, the lay of the land, the people that are here, and the kind of world that we're about to be introduced into. And the play is generally about dreams. And at the end of this monologue, they start introducing us to the different people in the town, and we actually get to see their dreams and what they've been dreaming about. And it's just a really beautiful way of introducing us to this town that is, as they say, under Milkwood in this Welsh village. So... Uh, people that love an accent challenge, uh, perhaps you could start doing a deep dive into the Welsh accent and looking at how you might use the Welsh accent uh, to... To bring this piece to life because i think that could be really beautiful the fact that it's set in a welsh town and the fact that we want to create this kind of a beautiful otherworldly atmosphere and experience that could be a really cool way to go about it but obviously with all the descriptions that come in you've got design ideas galore um, the oh, idea yes, yeah, yes, set sure. and props and the way that you can move things and obviously eclectic theater could play an interesting role here as well
1: and one really interesting thing about this this play is it was originally a radio play so straight away the opportunity for sound to do this through sound and use the sound effects of that, of a, this Welsh village down by the seaside and all these people and places and things that are mentioned.
0: Um, yeah, if you're someone that's deeply into um, the creating those that sound live on stage, that foley artistry that could be really beautiful you as can well. Imagine,
1: oh yeah, you could totally picture a foley studio where this is being recorded. That's a that's a great idea. Um, so yeah, if you're you know if you're into sound, and you're into making sound, then I think this is probably like the one obvious one on the list. Um, I would certainly go for it if I was the sound design. And
0: we can talk in more detail about what this monologue is, is actually about, but the details are in the, the fun of how they describe each moment and how, they, how Dylan Thomas goes about explaining uh, what the town is like and um, how should we feel as we enter the town. So I think reading, reading this play is believing, but if, if it sounds like the kind of monologue you would like to do, then uh, you should jump in and have a go and have a read because it really is quite fascinating and interesting and beautiful
1: yeah what a great list
0: i know there we are we've had look and talked about each of them um we were going to have this go for about 10 15 minutes but i'm really glad that it's gone a bit longer than that so we could find a bit more detail in this work now what rich choices everyone
1: has Mm. when what would you do nick what would your favorite be (sighs) that's impossible that's impossible
0: although i i would probably lean towards atticus that's probably what i would do um but, but,
1: because you look like
0: Atticus. Yeah, that's a, that's the that's the boring
1: choice, isn't it? I just you look. Have the I whole just Atticus look going. On. I would probably go with. Well, I'd probably go with Townsend, Mr. Ripley. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think yeah. I look like a psychopath, but I. Uh, that is just such a fascinating. I love the way when you read the play, it shifts from moment to moments in this very, um, you know, smooth eclectic way of, you know, Tom just steps into moments that happen all around. Him. It's just so beautiful. Um, well worth the read.
0: And I would do Jamie perhaps, but not that song. Well, I'll wait until there's a different Jamie song, and then I'll say, yeah. and then I'll say that one. Or well, Patricia, that's pretty cool. Doing Patricia.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could, I could imagine myself doing Patricia too. I think I'm just attracted to the, the crime ones, to
0: be honest. <laughs> some death and despair, some high stakes. Who doesn't like some high stakes?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, and now, brilliant.
1: And now that you can play any gender, I could do Patricia.
0: Oh, absolutely or well, we could I could just play it as Patricia I'll happily you know just play it as the, as the gender prescribed in the text but now we don't have to so huzzah.
1: huzzah
0: well speaking of huzzah huzzah to you thank you very much for coming and speaking about these monologues after such a big day we really appreciate it thank you for your time Brendan Carroll
1: that's okay thank you so much for having me anytime
0: That is all for this episode of The Aside. Thank you to Brendan Carroll for giving us his time. There are, of course, a load of episodes in the bank, including a podcast episode that focuses on every single play from the monologue list. If you want to go through and have a listen to those, you're, of course, more than welcome. There's also a raft of other episodes on a range of topics, from elements of theatre composition to how to get a study score of 50 in theatre studies talking to some students that have achieved that almighty score. If you have a question or a suggestion for a future episode, do not hesitate to contact us at AsidePodcast at Outlook.com Huge thanks to Halebury for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support and of course, thank you for listening.